we have people come up to us and just express an honest frustration that they can't oppose abortion. Um, that we we hear people say like, I'm with you, I'm with you, that makes sense, that makes sense. But then when it gets to abortion, they, they sort of shut their brain off and they refuse to actually um, engage with us on that issue. Do you put the value of human life above all political party affiliations and other issues? Welcome to Dear Jane, I'm your host, Scott Baker. The consistent life ethic opposes all forms of violence against humans. Some issues popular with conservatives and others more in line with liberal ideology. Herb Garrity with Rehumanize International joins us today on Dear Jane. Herb, what is the consistent life ethic and how is it any different from other elements of the pro-life movement? Sure, the consistent life ethic is an ethical philosophy based on the inherent dignity of every human being. At the, the base of it is this idea that all human beings deserve human rights and specifically the right to live free from violence. In practice, what it means is that we work to abolish all forms of aggressive violence against human beings. Um, at Rehumanize International, we focus on issues of violence that are typically either widely socially acceptable or state-sanctioned forms of violence. Um, and that's just because we think that through being active on those issues, we have a better chance at changing them and at least changing the law, um, which has an impact on culture. And so the consistent life ethic itself, um, it, 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 its adherence um, will oppose things like uh, gun violence and intimate partner abuse and human trafficking. Um, but the issues that we tend to focus on, like I said, are the, the state-sanctioned forms of violence where we are. And so the work that I do, for the most part, includes working to end abortion, capital punishment, embryo destruction, euthanasia, police brutality, torture, and war. Um, every once in a while, some other issues will become um, unfortunately relevant to talk about. Um, but for the most part, that's what what we tend to focus on. Um, but that's partially just because we're based in the US. If we lived in another country where other forms of violence were more, more common, that's what we'd be focusing on. You know, so often, too often, we tend to think of the red and the blue, right? Uh, the, the Republicans, the progressives, that sort of thing. And as I heard you talking about some of those issues, I thought, okay, well, that's obviously a progressive issue or that that's known as a progressive issue. Let's say that. Uh, and that one's known as a conservative issue. So it's really, it, it, you're kind of taking on issues that are important to both sides. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, some people say that it makes us, you know, everyone will hate us for some reason. I like to think that, well, that means that we have common ground with someone on at least one issue. Um, and I think that that has led to a lot of productive conversations because I can tell you, um, I when I was in college, my kind of main issue that I was most animated on was the anti-abortion issue. Um, and I still am extremely passionate about ending abortion. And I can't tell you how many conversations I had with liberals or pro-abortion people who would tell me like, listen, if I thought that you were just another hypocrite, Republican, Trump supporter, I would not have listened to you on the abortion issue at all. And now I'm pro-life. Um, and so I think that it's 
crucially important to have a diverse movement on any of these issues. Because the same thing happens to me where, um, you know, I'll be at a pro-life event and someone will challenge me on my opposition to the death penalty. And I know that it's only because I've demonstrated that I genuinely care about the right to life. This is I'm not just you know, a, a secular liberal who hates everything that conservatives stand for, but I have real human-centered reasons for why I oppose um, capital punishment. And they're more likely to listen to me than they would, you know, some random liberal who opposes capital punishment. And so I think that um, some people like to say the consistent life ethic kind of alienates everyone for one reason or another, but I think that it actually is an opportunity to demonstrate sameness in some way and then try to move towards a productive conversation rather than just, you know, allowing us to make assumptions about what the other person believes because they have a D or an R next to their name. To rehumanize international, what was sort of the beginning? What was the genesis? Yeah. So Rehumanize International was founded by a woman named Amy Murphy. Um, she's still around. She now is uh, um, involved in the organization as uh, the director of special projects. Um, she actually just this last summer published a book with the name Rehumanize. Um, and so when she first founded the organization, the the whole uh, purpose and mission of our organization was to um to create a magazine and to create um content around the consistent life ethic um and they did that successfully the magazine was called life matters journal um it was published regularly um and it was a great way to get people to think about these issues um i got involved in the in the magazine life matters journal in 2016 and at that time it wasn't just me who was getting involved. There was kind of a lot of interest and more and more people saying, hey, we agree with this idea. We want to do something about it. Um, and so for a while, all we had to say was, well, get get involved in the magazine. Um, but slowly after myself and some others got involved, um, we realized that we weren't really just being a magazine anymore. There were a couple of years where we were a magazine that also went to the the March for Life and a magazine that also organized events and a magazine that had a conference every year. Um, and so we sort of realized we're not we're not just a magazine. We should probably um, rebrand and be a little bit more uh, um, inclusive about the types of things we do. And so in 2017, we rebranded from Life Matters Journal, which was the original name of our organization, to Rehumanize International. And now, rather than just talking and writing and publishing about these issues, we're taking action to actually affect change in our communities. Um, though we, we still publish the magazine and we still um, have, you know, writing and producing content um, educational content about these issues as a major part of our mission. Um, but we now have a lot of other programs that exist to really bring these ideas um, and action on these issues into communities rather than just kind of talking about them. Um, but mm -hmm. now we have chapters who um, organize around issues, both in the in the legal sense, um, you know, doing some light lobbying work, um, but also just service, volunteering at pregnancy centers and writing to people incarcerated, especially those on death row, um, different forms of volunteer and um, just different types of engagement work to put these thoughts into action. So, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. Did you call yourself a secular liberal? Is that right? Um, I would I would identify 
you know, I don't really, I wouldn't call myself a liberal. I, I think I said that um, I'm not just another sec- secular liberal. Gotcha. Um, I, I don't believe that the consistent life ethic is liberal or conservative. I think that um, I work with people and I'm happy to work with people across the political spectrum. I know people who call themselves um, pro-life liberals and consistent life ethic. And I also know conservative Christians who hold a consistent life ethic and libertarians and socialists and anarchists and people all over the spectrum, because I don't think that this idea of supporting human rights, opposing aggressive violence against human beings is necessarily liberal or conservative. And I think it's a little silly when we think about these issues as partisan. I think they inherently are because of the way that our uh, political system has forced them to be with Republicans primarily being the pro-life party and Democrats um, having a somewhat better record on issues like the death penalty. Um, But ultimately, I don't think that that any of these issues are inherently belonging to one set of ideology. Um, And so what we try to do is cast as wide a net as possible and allow people to say, listen, I'm not trying to shape your entire worldview here. You can believe whatever you want about, you know, all of the other culture war issues or economic issues or, you know, plenty of other issues that um, that you can have an opinion on. But what the consistent life ethic calls for is an opposition to aggressive violence. Um, And we encourage people to stay within their political parties and make change there. I think that um, I'm a registered Democrat. Um, That's partially because I live in a city and want to be able to vote in primaries. Um, But it's also because I'm not super comfortable with a lot of aspects of the Republican Party. but for example, I in in that case, I think that I can do a lot more good as a pro-life registered Democrat than I would in terms of making headway in the party as just a Republican who is only voting Republican and identifies as such. Um, and at this, in the same way, I know so many of the uh, so much of the work to abolish the death penalty right now is happening in red states and being led by Republicans who are saying, "Yeah, I'm uncomfortable with." The, my party's stance on this in my state. Um, but I'm still overwhelmingly a Republican. I'm still pro-life. I'm still hold these beliefs that I think aligns me with the Republican Party. And so instead of becoming a Democrat, I'm going to stay as a Republican and try to work on the inside to fix some of these problems like the death penalty. Um, and so for myself, I don't really identify as strictly liberal or conservative. I think that conservatives will often look at my um, my list of policy issues that I care about and call me a liberal. Um, and then liberals will look at my list of policy issues and see that I, uh, you know, I'm against abortion and therefore I'm a conservative. Um, and so I just identify as consistent life ethic. Um, I don't really, I, I don't really feel um, super tied to either political party because when you care about these issues, you sort of can't, you can't, be um, excited to vote for any national um, politician because at some level they are going to disagree about whether or not each certain human group of human beings deserves to be able to live free from violence. We're visiting with Herb Garrity from Rehumanize International. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about how you get progressives to buy into the anti-abortion stance. We'll do that when we come back here on Dear Jane. Are you a pregnancy center or pro-life organization that wants to grow your life-saving mission 
in a way that effectively reaches women who need help? At Choose Life Promo, our ultimate goal is to help organizations empower women to choose life. We take our design and marketing expertise to the next level, creating apparel, videos, and other items that are eye-catching and attractive, ripe with accurate information specifically for women that need support, and spread awareness about your pregnancy center to donors and potential supporters. At Choose Life Promo, our mission is to impact our culture, to choose life through communication strategies grounded in both research and biblical values. We want to give you promotional items that inspire donations and also educate the abortion-minded woman about your pregnancy center so she can receive the care and support she needs. Saving lives is always in style. Learn more at ChooseLifePromo.com. We are back here on Dear Jane, visiting with Herb Garrity from Rehumanize International. Herb, you were talking about some of the issues your group cares about, and among them were the death penalty, human rights, police violence. Some of these issues are clearly popular among progressives, but opposing abortion, of course, is not. Yet it's one of your main pillars. It's Is that a hard sell when you're talking to people? You know, I think it depends on the audience who I'm talking to. I think that um, for... It, it, and it completely depends on the event that I'm at and the the social context there. Um, but I would say, generally speaking, when it at least comes to liberals who I interact with, yes, that is the sticking point. Um, that is what will kind of drive them over the edge and say, ah, I liked I liked what you were saying until you got to that. Um, but I, I also think that similar things happen um, with with conservatives and some of these other issues, whether it's the death penalty or um, no conservatives would say they support police brutality, obviously. However, I think a lot of conservative politics um, will often make apologies for acts of police violence um, and support things like qualified immunity, which I think uh, leads to higher instances of police violence and police brutality against civilians. Um, and so, you know, when I'm tabling at the March for Life with consistent life ethic um, materials, no, no one's coming up to me and wanting to debate whether or not abortion should be on there. Uh, but when I'm at an anti-war conference, absolutely, yes, that is, that's what people come to talk about. Um, but I, I tend to be ready for those conversations. Um, and sometimes I'm surprised. I, a couple of uh, months ago, I was actually at an anti-death penalty protest. Um, and it was, it was multi-days long. And I remember a woman uh, walked up to me and she had saw our name on the list of sponsors and had seen our signs there. And the second day she came up and said, Hey, I was looking at your website because I saw your signs and I liked them. You know, I actually, I agreed with so much on it, but I, I disagreed with one thing. Um, and this was a woman at an anti-death penalty event. And so I was like, oh, wow, let me guess. I'm sure, you know, it's a, it's abortion. And it wasn't. It it was about euthanasia. And I was like, oh, finally, I have an opportunity to talk about and debate an issue other than abortion, because it's that's typically the most um, controversial one among people who I work with to end the death penalty in war and other issues. Um and so I, I try not to make assumptions because I also know that, um, you know, maybe if you see me at a Black Lives Matter rally or working, um, you know, to to end some other form of violence other than abortion, I know that people assume 
the politics that I hold as a result of that. I know plenty of people who, you know, they just assume that everyone who, uh, you know, is, is, you know, at a, at a BLM rally or um, agrees with Democrats on several issues, therefore is just 100% a Democrat and is completely in line with their uh, politics uh, surrounding child killing. And I'm not. And I know a lot of people who aren't and who are uncomfortable with that um, as part of the Democrats platform, as well as people who are Republicans who are against a lot of what the Republican Party stands for, but they stick with them because of the abortion issue or some other issue. Um, And so we're not we're not a good group to really um, debate partisan uh, loyalties with, because I don't know anyone who really embraces the consistent life ethic who's a real strong partisan. It's mostly people who are like me who are like, well, yeah, I'm a Democrat because I want to be able to vote in primaries or, well, I'm a Republican because I care about the abortion issue, but I hate Trump or I hate, you know, a hundred things about the Republican Party. Um, And we tell people like, you feel free to believe whatever you want on all of these other issues. Um, and I work with people who I have really strong disagreements with on, you know, maybe other culture war issues that are not among the, the issues that we care about um, within the consistent life ethic. But we recognize that these issues, because they are forms of state-sponsored lethal violence, have to take some sort of precedence and have to um, have to teach us to be comfortable with coalition building with people who are different than us, because otherwise I don't think that we're going to succeed. Um, and so that's what, that's what we've done. And I am always really excited to work with people um, across the spectrum who agree with us on everything or who don't, because, you know, naturally at the March for life, not everyone there is going to have a consistent life ethic and at an anti-death penalty event, it's pretty rare that there's lots of pro-life people there. Um, And so it teaches you to have to be able to put aside differences and work to achieve goals, but still remain strong in your beliefs and remain an advocate for the things that are important to you and not compromise those, um, those beliefs. When you are having these conversations with people and they want to come up and in sort of debate or have a conversation and they and they could say yeah i can really buy, buy in to the consistent life ethic but not abortion yeah what is usually the rationalization for that but not abortion you know i actually think more than more than we get that like i agree i agree with everything except abortion we have people come up to us and just express an honest frustration that they can't oppose abortion. Um, that we we hear people say, like, I'm with you, I'm with you. That makes sense. That makes sense. But then when it gets to abortion, they they sort of shut their brain off and they refuse to actually um engage with us on that issue. And I think um more often than people saying, you know, like, I, I, I disagree, or even coming back with arguments why abortion isn't like those other things, they just say, I'm not going to engage on it. Um, or they see that we're anti-abortion. And if that's really one of their strong political beliefs, they don't, um, they don't come up to the table at all. Honestly. Um, I think it's, it's people who are already kind of 
unsure on the issue or they they don't have a strong position, which is the vast majority of Americans who are somewhere in the middle. Um, they might identify as pro-life or pro-choice, but when you really pull them on the um on exactly what the laws should be, it's kind of an uncomfortable European style legal for some, ban it after viability. Um sort of messy, not strongly pro-life or completely pro-abortion, which is totally not represented by either political party. Um, I, I find those people, which are the majority, to be the most open to these conversations because I think so many of them have been told over and over again that abortion is healthcare, it's not violent, um, you know, it's it's normal, it's empowering. Um, but they know that that's not the truth. They know that there's something happening beyond that. And they're uncomfortable with, with the fact that that doesn't seem to be represented anymore, that this safe, legal, rare mentality among pro-abortion people has pretty much disappeared. And now abortion can only be referred to as a moral good. I meet so many people who are like, listen, I'm, I'm not pro-life. Like, I don't want to be aligned with the Republicans. I'm completely against this, but I'm deeply uncomfortable with how abortion is being framed right now. And I think that, um, when they get to meet us, especially moderates, um, who just feel uncomfortable thinking about the issue at all, I think they're finally presented with a, a, a reason to be anti-abortion and an explanation for being anti-abortion that is simply more compelling than what they've heard before. Um, and particularly, I, I I think that the pro-life movement has has done a lot of great work. We overturned Roe v. Wade. You know, we we we've we've done a, a large, a large amount of um work to uh, you know, get justice for the unborn and ban abortion and serve women. Um, but I think that we've I think that we have a major messaging issue on our hands when it comes to reaching people who are not already on our side, um, particularly liberals and moderates who just overwhelmingly are being secularized along with the culture. Um, and these religious arguments that they've heard over and over again, um, just don't hold much weight, including for Christians, who, you know, that's how we see so many, you know, Christians who say, well, maybe I'm personally pro-life, but I I don't want to force my religion on anyone. Um, we have found that by, you know, the way that we present this issue, which is completely secular, we have people on our team who are atheist and non-religious and of minority religions. Um, and, you know, presenting this as not a religious argument, um, not an argument tied to sexual morality at all. We don't really take, you know, strong positions on abstinence or birth control or, you know, things that do not actively harm human beings. Um, and I, I have found that that is what has led to the more people who are open to pro-life arguments, giving us a chance um, rather than people who are just already pro-abortion. I think that in many cases, they are unwilling to um, to engage on the issue at all. That's so fascinating. When you talk about they, they don't feel like they can oppose. I think that's true. And I think that's real. I think a lot of people just feel like, you know, they just want to go with the tide. And, yeah. And it seems to be into the pro-abortion side, especially with men. I mean, a lot of times men are told not to even have an opinion on the subject. 
which is a different discussion for uh, another day. But you, you mentioned earlier that you have had conversations and engaged people and, they, and you've maybe changed their mind or you've influenced how they feel. What resonated with them? I think that for me, well, so I can tell you, I, I haven't always been pro-life. Um, when I was younger, kind of high school, developing political opinions, um, I certainly did not align with the pro-life movement. I was not really interested in anything to do with that. Um, and I had never really considered abortion too much um, until I knew someone who was sharing pro-life things on social media, who otherwise was like, Similar to me, um, she was liberal. She, you know, I thought she was young. I thought she was cool. And then I saw her share something pro-life and I was like, I need to learn what abortion is so I can explain to this woman why she is wrong about abortion. Um, and that that's what inspired me to like actually find out what abortion was because I think that, you know, I knew it was ending a pregnancy and I vaguely understood, you know, that how how babies are made you know like this wasn't anything totally new to me but i think the actual process of abortion wasn't something i had ever considered it was just a woman's choice and so i don't need to think that hard about it um that's how it was framed to me my entire life and so it wasn't until i was going out of my way to google well what does abortion look like what is it what does it actually entail that I became anti-abortion and I actually started looking on like Planned Parenthood's website. Like I, I wasn't going to like prolifeapologetics.net to try to figure out why to oppose abortion. I was trying to figure out what the best arguments were for abortion. And I just distinctly remember like reading Planned Parenthood's website and pro-choice blogs and getting this like really uncomfortable feeling and thinking it kind of just sounds like we're talking around the fact that this kills a baby. Like I, I know that there needs to be a fetus involved at some point. Why aren't we mentioning them? Um, and so that's what led me to look for more neutral sources to get a better picture of what was going on. Um, and I was introduced to just biology textbooks and the science of embryology. Um, and I learned the uncomfortable fact that life begins at conception. Um, and I was extre extremely uncomfortable with that. And so for me, I had to kind of go through a process of, well, maybe abortion, you know, should only be rare that it, it maybe it's not, um, it's not good, but it should still be a woman's right. Uh, but the more I learned about it, the more I learned about the actual mechanisms of abortion that it, I think the way we talk about it as a woman's right makes people imagine that it it just simply removes an embryo. It makes someone unpregnant. You're not pregnant anymore. Um, and I think that when that's how I conceptualized it, it was easy for me to just be comfortable with it. But learning about how abortion actually occurred you know, specifically that in many cases, it's live dismemberment of a human being, or it's injecting a, a, a even viable babies in many states um, with a poison to stop their heart and then dismembering them um, or cutting them off from their supply of oxygen and nutrients and having them suffocate and starve to death if they're a, a young embryo. Um, you know, this isn't, this isn't, 
just making someone not pregnant. It's not like birth control or abstinence or, um, you know, it's, it's not like using a condom and preventing a, a baby from occurring. It's actively killing a baby. Um, and that was just not in line with the other things that I already believed, you know, like I was in high school, I was pretty mad about the Iraq war. I was anti-death penalty. I considered myself, you know, certainly in support of human rights. Um, and the idea of dismembering a human baby is just not in line with that at all. And so I think that once it was framed as such, as an issue of violence against an innocent person, it was much easier for me to stomach being anti-abortion. And so that's how I present this argument. That's why, or it's at least part of why I organize under the banner of the consistent life ethic, because it, from the outset, you can tell that I am against abortion, even if I'm wrong, I am against abortion because I believe it is violence against a person. I feel like when I was growing up, and I heard about abortion as this political issue. I remember it, it was like you would you would hear them together exclusively. Every time you heard the word abortion, it would be followed by and gay marriage. People who oppose abortion and gay marriage is how it was always framed. And to me, I, you know, I, I was not super religious growing up. Um, I now I don't identify with religion at all. Um, I knew gay people. I had no opposition to gay marriage. That was not going to be my my political fight. And so when I heard abortion and gay marriage, and those are the issues tied together, I was like, well, I guess I'm on the side that supports gay marriage, which is also the side that supports abortion rights. Um, and now as an adult who's thought through these issues, I realized that, that makes no sense. Um, the abortion it may be like gay marriage in that it is related to sexual morality, but I think much more importantly, it is like issues like the death penalty and war and police brutality, which kill human beings. Um, and so I think that the work of framing these issues is as important as the arguments that we use, because if you go to a, a pro-life event, and which I have, and a quarter of the talks are about anti-gay marriage and a quarter of the talks are about anti-abortion and a quarter of the talks are about anti-contraception. If you're not on board with all of those other issues that they're bringing up, you are not going to stick around for the anti-abortion talks. But if you're excited because you're active in, um, you know, these more, they're seen as more liberal movements like Black Lives Matter, and you hear us talking about abortion in that context as yet another um, a symptom of systemic racism and violence against marginalized people. And, you know, we, I, I don't shy away from blaming capitalism for some of the reasons that people choose abortion. Um, it allows people to kind of put away their preconceived notions and think about the issue for the first time without all the baggage of, you know, the, the conservative religious right movement that they are already completely against. And if you think, if they think you're aligned with them, they are not interested at all. And I say all this knowing that I work with and love conservatives and, you know, people who identify with the religious right, and I'm grateful for the work they do. And I think it's important to keep, you know, conservatives and Christians paying attention to this issue and working to end abortion. But that cannot be the only messaging that we're putting out as a movement because it just simply doesn't work on young secular people who might otherwise be anti-abortion, which we find they are after they talk to us for long enough. 
I know so many people like that who want to be pro-choice, pro-abortion, but you can tell deep down there's just something that doesn't wash about that. There's something they're not comfortable with. Uh, and that seems to be a really common theme once you get to talking to people. Yeah. And it's also just not the lived reality of people who get abortions. Like they pro-abortion activists like, like to say that everyone loves someone who's had an abortion. And I completely agree with that. As a pro-life person, I love plenty of people who have had abortions, both who regret those abortions and people who may have mixed feelings about them and remain pro-choice. Um, but the reality is that no one is excited about getting an abortion or very few people are, maybe a couple activists are excited about it. But the vast majority of the time, the people seeking abortion, according to pro-choice researchers, they're saying, I'm getting this because I feel as though I have no other choice. This is primarily for financial reasons. I don't feel as though I have enough support in my community to be able to raise a child or even continue a pregnancy. And I think that when I hear that as a pro-life person, I'm horrified and dismayed that anyone would be comfortable performing an abortion on someone who says, I feel like this is my only choice. There's nothing pro-choice about that, and it should be disturbing to pro-life and pro-choice people. Um, but the pro-abortion movement feels as though they need to be apologetic about abortion in every in every way and make it seem like it's a positive occurrence. And I think regular people who are not super political on this issue and just don't care that much generally think that women should have the right to choose because they that's what they've been told. When they know someone who's gotten an abortion, they're not thinking of this positive rhetoric, this abortion is empowering lie because they saw what it did to their sister who had a major depression after getting an abortion or who has struggled with this decision their entire life. Um, and so I think that there's a whole lot of people who are really uncomfortable with, with picking a side and saying, well, I know these pro-abortion people aren't right, but God, I, just, I don't want to be on the side of these pro-life people for, for plenty of reasons or are not totally comfortable with um, the, the all or nothing approach to abortion that either side takes. Personally, I'm pro-life in all cases, and I think that um, I believe in the right to life from conception. But I think that we need to approach people and work with them and welcome them into uh being pro-life before they get all the way there, because otherwise they are going to remain neutral on the issue, which in our culture defaults to pro-choice. Yeah. Well, now you're getting to the heart of what I, I wanted to touch on before we, before we wrap up. Um, Rehumanize wants to cultivate a culture of life. And you've mentioned framing and messaging and that sort of thing. So so then how do we talk about it in a way to help people understand? Is it, is it about um, reminding them that it's a baby? Is it about talking about the brutality of the process itself? I mean, what lots of people try different ways, right, to talk about abortion. And what is the best way? What have you found to be effective in messaging and in talking about this? I th And this is the worst answer to this question because it's not easy. It 100% depends on the person you're talking to. I think that we do our best to make our outward, you know, content and materials that we put out 
cast a wide net and be able to reach as many people with unique messaging that the wider anti-abortion movement doesn't use as much. But ultimately, when I have actual conversations with people, you need to ask them why they support abortion before you can come up with, you know, talking points for why why they shouldn't anymore. Um, because talking to someone who has no idea what abortion looks like or doesn't know anything about fetal development and, you know, early human development, then sometimes all it takes is just a science lesson. Like I have spoken to people who have said, you know, well, embryos aren't human. And all it's taken is me showing them some believable sources, correct, accurate sources to show that they actually are. Um, For some people, they're a little bit more philosophical and they, you know, need these thought experiments. I know that um, Josh Brom and the Equal Rights Institute are great at doing thought experiments, um, kind of trying to make people think about abortion like they would, you know, other, other issues or other circumstances. I know some pro-choice people love using the the violinist thought experiment and pro-lifers have perfected responding to that. Um, So some people need that. But what I have found is most effective for the people who we're trying to reach, which are people who are not already pro-life, is again, this framing um, of abortion as primarily an issue of aggressive violence, which I think, you know, regular mainstream conservative pro-life people do already. um, But honing in on that and trying to demonstrate what common ground we do have, talking about issues like war or the death penalty or police brutality and asking them, well, why do you oppose those? And then demonstrating to them how abortion actually is much more similar to to these issues that they oppose than they think it is and how the position on the consistent life ethic, um, the positions that we take actually in more cases than not align with what you say your beliefs are because if you say that you are um that you believe in equality and you believe in nonviolence and non-discrimination then there's no reason for you to be pro-abortion though the abortion industry is anti-equality it's it is violent and it inherently is discriminatory um so i think that so so many of us get caught in our own like political sort of tribes and don't want to stray from them at all. And so rather than going to someone and saying like, you need to change your entire worldview, you need to be you know, a conservative Christian and that's what's gonna make you opposed to abortion, which it might, and some people do good conversion work and sometimes that happens. But I think what is much easier is saying, hey, no, you already should believe this based on what you say you believe. What don't you know about abortion that makes you think that it is equality, non-discrimination, non-violence, um, because most people wouldn't support abortion if they knew what it really looked like. So I think it's partially showing people the truth, explaining to them the science, and then demonstrating to them why they already oppose this or why, why they already should oppose this once they know all the facts. Yeah. You know, and, and as far as the whole argument that abortion is healthcare, I heard a term recently that I love. Um, you should be in favor of nonviolent health care. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I think with a lot of issues that the the word healthcare and health the healthcare industry um works to sanitize violence in people's mind in ways that 
typically we would never allow you know, we would never allow people to dismember babies, but once they are a doctor and it's in a hospital or it's in a healthcare setting, then that's totally fine. I think the exact same thing happens in the context of euthanasia that, well, it's, it's just a treatment for it's the idea of euthanasia as a treatment for depression or assisted suicide as a treatment for um, suicidal ideation is so it's completely ridiculous and spits in the face of mental health care as an idea, right? Um, But because it is being pushed by doctors and is being done by doctors, people see it as sanitized and, well, then it's health care. Same thing happens with the death penalty. A doctor needs to be there to administer the lethal injection shot. Same thing happens with torture. Doctors were used by the U.S. government to determine exactly how far we can push Muslim men into confessing to crimes that they may or may not have been knowledge to. I think that the use of the word healthcare and the profession of doctors um, has been used over and over again to to allow violence against human beings in ways that typically we would not we would not allow or we would not be comfortable with. But our brains just sort of shut off and trust the experts and think that, well, they must know what they're doing if they went to med school. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. And we should push back um, against any any attempt to sanitize or make excuses for what we know to be violence against a human being. The website is rehumanizeintl.org. Rehumanize International. Herb Garrity, with Rehumanize International, appreciate the time today. Is your marketing plan built to withstand the political, cultural, and spiritual battles you face in the post-row world? The Samaritan Summit exists to help you navigate these new challenges so your message isn't compromised and so you can reach as many abortion-determined women as possible. This year's summit will be in Nashville on September 19th through the 21st. Our workshops will help you confidently assemble your board and leadership team, help you welcome women into your center who are confused by deceptive communication from the abortion industry, and offer courage and support for the myriad new challenges you face after the Dobbs decision last year. Register today to secure your spot at this year's event at SamaritanSummit.org. On this edition of People You Should Know, we introduce you to Anton Kresik, founder and CEO of Seven Weeks Coffee, the nation's largest pro-life coffee company. Anton says Seven Weeks exists to offer people a great product while helping pregnancy resource centers across the country. So it's pretty simple. We created a partnership program simply because that's the easiest way for us to direct resources to centers. So it's a simple process. Any center can sign up. Every center that will receive funding, um, as long as they sign up, they get um, a few things. They get marketing materials, an affiliate link, um, some other cool content for their marketing department so they can actively use the coffee and their affiliate link to sell it and with 10% going back to them directly. So it's a kind of a cool fundraising tactic. Um, in addition to that, we're just going to make a cash donation to that center. A center lets us know, and during that month, they just say we're partnering with Seven Weeks Coffee. They're you know promoting it and sharing it, but 
We're just going to donate a part of that month's sales to that center. So it's really as simple as that. We're trying to schedule these out for at least, you know, at least right now, twice a year for every center. And we're creating these long-term partnerships. We really see this as the the grassroots of a really growing movement where we're gaining um, with customers and followers who are drinking our coffee, which in turn means we can raise more money for centers. So any center who's a partner of ours is going to have a lifetime relationship and access to funding. So hopefully the more coffee we sell, uh, obviously, then we can just support many more centers. Anton says it's a win-win for people who like coffee and also want to help out their local center. How cool is it that they can now drink coffee and that coffee order and that purchase, you know, directly supports that local center. So it's kind of a cool way to tie, you know, that center in back with their local, um, you know, followers, supporters that like, yeah, it's um, their local followers can order coffee through that center's, you know, partnership link and that money directly supports that center. So it's a really cool way to make um, that purchase even more meaningful. Started in 2021, the partnership between Seven Weeks Coffee and Pregnancy Resource Centers has helped bring attention to the great work done by the centers. The feedback has been super positive. I mean, centers have been just saying, be, they're so thankful just for the support. I think there's a few things. One, it feels like the sale of our coffee, we're able to highlight the important role of pregnancy centers. Like to me, they're the hands and feet of the pro-life movement. They give away $270 million a year and free resources, never charge for a single thing. They are meeting with the women who are actively considering abortion or just in a very difficult life circumstances. So to me, to me, just being able to highlight them, I think they feel such a, a um, you know, an uplifting of that. Like we're directly trying to support them for the sale of our coffee. And, and yeah, we're trying to meet tangible needs. Like we're donating out, you know, 10% of every sale. We're directing this towards, you know, any center that signs up to become a partner of ours. So we have over 350 centers now that are part of our our network. So um, it's really cool just to see the tangible impact that a customer can have through using us as their coffee supplier. To date, Seven Weeks Coffee has donated over $75,000 to PRCs across the country. Anton says another benefit is giving people a chance to purchase a product from a company that shares their values. Truly, it's to you know, obviously raise money and have a tangible impact supporting centers, but it also, like you said, it gives consumers the ability to buy from a company that they know you know, supports their values. And that's a very rare thing in today's you know, economy and cultures. And here's a fun fact we learned about coffee. Do you know which level of roasted coffee bean contains the most caffeine? Anton says it's light roast. It's like cooking. The more you roast it, the more caffeine cooks out of it. So in by nature, coffee is caffeinated. So the more you roast it, the less it has. So your lighter roast will have your mo more caffeine. So light roast in the morning and your afternoon, maybe more of a dark roast. So that's what I do. To learn more about Anton and Seven Weeks Coffee, you can visit sevenweekscoffee.com. My thanks to Herb Garrity and Rehumanize International. It's so easy to focus on things upon which we disagree and lose sight of the areas of common ground. It seems like a lot of people say, if we don't align 100%, we don't align at all. And I think that's a big mistake. When you look at an organization like Rehumanize International, you have what seems to be a fairly progressive liberal organization that is out there saying abortion is wrong. In many cases, they're saying it in places and events where that's not the popular opinion. That takes courage. And I'm glad there are people out there like Herb and his group are willing to stand up for what is right, even when it is uncomfortable. 
Thanks for listening to this edition of Dear Jane. I'm Scott Baker. Dear Jane is a production of the Choose Life Coalition. Don't forget to tell your friends about Dear Jane and click subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Have a great day.